It is Sunday, June 2nd, and this is The Rally. Hey everybody, Adam Giardino with you, and it's time for another episode of The Rally. Scranton Wilkesbury now 10 games above 500. They're 30 and 20 this season after a 7-4 victory over Lehigh Valley. Didn't take long for the Iron Pigs though to jump out with the early lead. On the fourth pitch of the game, Lane Adams clocked a home run off of Drew Hutchison, and that one nothing lead remained into the bottom of the third inning. First man up for the Rail Riders in the third, Logan Morrison. One two. Morrison drives it high in the air, deep to right field. Lane Adams back at the railhouse looking up, and that ball is gone to the top of the Budweiser railhouse for Logan Morrison. Welcome back into the lineup. Rail Riders on the board in the bottom of the third. Third straight game with the homer for Lomo and the fifth homer in his last seven games played. That tied the game at one, and the Rail Riders rallied further in the bottom of the third inning plating another run to make it 2-1 Rail Riders. In the bottom of the fifth inning, Scranton Wilkesbury showed some more pop. With one out, nobody on. First up, Billy Burns. For Burns drives this one to deep right field into the corner, and that ball is gone. Into the railhouse for Billy Burns, and the Rail Riders go up 3-1. After him, a guy with a little more traditional power in Mike Ford. Mike Ford at the plate. First pitch from Anderson. He hits it high in the air and deep to right. Adams back to the warning track. At the wall, he looks up and it's gone. Back-to-back home runs for Billy Burns and Mike Ford. And it's a 4-1 Rail Rider lead. Ford now tied for the team lead with Ryan McBroom. 12 home runs each. And at that moment, the important thing for the Rail Riders was their lead was 4-1. Drew Hutchison gave up a run on the fourth pitch of the game and then over his final 95 pitches gave up just two more hits. Six innings, one run, seven strikeouts, and the victory for Hutchison, who improves to 4-3 and three on the season. And he gave the ball off to the bullpen, who did its job very well bridging the gap to the end of the game. The Rail Riders, with a three-run lead, they added to it in the seventh. With two men on and one out, Rehabber D.D. Gregorius came up, 0 for his first 11 on rehab with the Rail Riders. Hopefully for D.D. Gregorius, that's in a good way, and then he gets back to the bigs sooner rather than later as he lines the pitch to right center field, a base hit. Around third, coming in to score, Billy Burns. Mike Ford going first to third as D.D. Gregorius pulls into second with an RBI double, and the Rail Riders take a 5-1 lead in the bottom of the seventh. At a sack fly later, and the lead was 6-1 for Scranton Wilkesbury. They played it a run in the eighth for a 7-1 lead, and though Lehigh Valley scored three times in the top of the ninth inning, they never brought the tying run to the plate. Three-run victory for the Rail Riders, who are now 30-20 and on the season, and four games clear of both Lehigh Valley and the Syracuse Mets for first place in the IL North. The game took two hours, 44 minutes to complete before an announced crowd of 9,157 fans on Red Barons weekend at PNC Field. Before the game, we had a chance to chat with another dignitary from this weekend filled with 30th anniversary celebrations in scranton Wilkesbury, longtime public address announcer John Davies, who was behind the mic of first Lackawanna County Stadium and then for some time PNC Field for the better part of 28 years. He was able to get back on the mic for the fans to have a familiar voice this weekend, and John Davies was kind enough to give us several minutes to regale us with stories of the past. And though we'll get to the stories from the past, the first thing we wanted to know from John 
with fans coming to recognize that signature style, how is it that he developed that familiar tone? My theory was this. Not just say a name flat. Anybody can do that. I wanted to entertain the players and the fans without overdoing it. I didn't want to be like uh, some guys I heard years later that were in pro basketball that would scream and so on and so forth. I tried to be a little bit more subtle than that. Though, in a, in a game that there was some excitement, sometimes I'd get carried away and somebody would have to slap me across the back of the head and say, hey, simmer down a little bit, you're not in the big leagues, which was true. And I said, okay. But uh, that's how I started back in 89. So what do you remember about opening night? Opening night, 1989? Wow. It was a circus and a carnival all wrapped into one with media coverage from, well, from Philadelphia because they covered us. But New York, uh, New York sent some reporters here because we're not too far from either city, actually. We're 125 miles from, uh, from both areas. So, uh, plus, you know, uh, obviously your local television and radio stations. And uh, we had a huge one radio station that was a huge balloon out here in the left field that was put up, a, an, an air balloon on which you take people up and down on the balloon. It was mammoth. And it was up for the whole game. And we had the governor of Pennsylvania, Robert Casey, who was here. And uh, he did a lot to help us financially get the stadium going and, and so on. We had the, the uh, three county commissioners, Commissioners Alberigi, Commissioner Corcoran, Commissioner Sino, who had a lot to do with this. John McGee, the man that brought baseball here. If it wasn't for him, we wouldn't have it. It was a little crazy opening night. In recent years with minor league stadiums opening, it always feels like they don't hit the mark on that date. Were there parts of the stadium that were unfinished on opening night? Oh, yeah. Remember? So yeah. What, was, yeah. what well, wasn't done? We were hoping it wasn't going to rain at all. It was it was a little overcast because it, uh, the the public address booth that I sat in had a tendency of leaking. <laughs> and I thought to myself, I hate to stand up here with a plastic bucket in front of my microphone and finish the game. But luckily it did not rain that. And it was a little cool. But it wasn't, it wasn't too bad. We were able to get the game in, though the game was a late start. The game was supposed to start, I, I think, at 7.30. And when I, I, don't, I think the first pitch was thrown a, a little after 8 o'clock because of all of the pregame ceremonies. And I mean all of the pregame ceremonies. It was, it was really something. We had a packed house that night of nearly 11,000 fans. You, you couldn't move. I mean, some of the hot dogs were lukewarm dogs because it was the first night of a brand new stadium of a brand new franchise so there were a lot of parts of the dugout that was just dirt and you had to walk around certain areas and so on uh, everything wasn't labeled but it was it was put well enough to to actually open up a ball game for that night you're holding the rosters now yes get, get into the players wow. they, when you when you scan this what's the first name that jumps out at you well greg leg I mean, Greg is a saint here. They love him. He was always a very well-liked guy that got involved in community affairs to to help anybody that may have been downtrodden, to help the kids learn how to play baseball. Greg had a, a stint up in the big leagues in eight, 1987, two years before we opened up, and he was Mike Schmitz back up at third base for the Phillies. And uh, it's a nice way to break in when you got a Hall of Famer there in front of you. And a lot of these names, uh, Joe Redfield played third base. Steve Stanisek was our first baseman. Al Pardo was our catcher. Jimmy Olander. Jim Adusi. Jim Adusi's son plays in the big leagues right now. 
and the father played here. Floyd Rayford. Floyd Rayford was one of the most well-loved players to ever play here. He had a million-dollar personality. He saw his better years behind him. He played, he played, he was a, a roommate with Cal Ripken with the Orioles. In fact, uh, he may be in the Hall of Fame because I think when Ripken start street, uh, his streak started, it was Floyd who, I believe, had played third base the last time before Ripken played third. And then Ripken started off at, the, at third, and then a day or two later, he replaced Len Cicada at shortstop for the Orioles. So Floyd is in Cooperstown, and he's always in the hearts of everybody around here because he's such a great guy. We had a, a lot of guys back then, and they, they all became folk heroes of people locally because they could identify with these guys. A, a lot of people, when we first started, that lived here didn't know anything about minor league baseball. And one guy said, hey, that Al Pardo, is his grandfather from Old Forge? And I said, no. <laughs> and Old Forge is only a mile down the road. I said, no. These gentlemen live all across the country, and some of them live outside of the country. When you think back to that old stadium, you mentioned that story of the gentleman interrupting a game by, oh. by scaling the wall. If not that story, is there another story along that ilk that you that jumps out to you? That, well, yeah, Eric Bullock played left field for us that night. Eric was a pretty decent hitter, very good glove. Was this '89 or was this a different? It probably was. It a was. Year. It was in the early years. I'm yeah. not sure if it was '89 exactly, but it was '89, '90, '91, somewhere in, in that in that era. And Bullock uh, Bullock's playing left field, and, and he did it very well. And we had the fence wrapped completely around. We had the uh, the visiting bullpen was down the left field line. Mm-hmm. Home bullpen was down the right field line. And everybody, you know, was not together. I meant now they're one next to each other. It was not the case back then. Some guy had to I'd drink too many one night, and it was either the fourth or the fifth inning. Some guy scaled the fence. We don't know how he did it. He scaled the fence and started walking along the outs, along the top of the outfield fence. And to see him, he was hanging on the foul pole. And I thought to myself, oh, my God. And Bullock started screaming and yelling and waving his arms frantically, indicating, hey, there's some nut on top of the outfield fence. Well, we had to stop the game. The deputy sheriffs poured out of the field and ran out there, at least a half a dozen, trying to coax the man to come down. And uh, Bullock just put his hands up in the air and he said, I'm not playing with this guy out here, which you can't blame him. Well, the sheriffs eventually convinced the guy to come down. They said, you're going to get hurt. You're going to wind up in the hospital. Please don't do that. Well, never thinking to himself, so when you come down, you're going to jail, which he did. And they took him down and cuffed him and, and dragged him out of the back of the bullpen door. And we never saw hiding or hair of him again. That does it for us today on The Rally. We will talk to you at 1.05 this afternoon. Pre-game coverage with Adam, Marco, and me begins at 12.35. You can catch it all on the Rail Riders Radio Network, the TuneIn Radio app, and on the MILB First Pitch app as well. I'm Adam Giardino, and you can follow me on Twitter at Adam Giardino, G-I-A-R-D-I-N-O. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you later today.